Good morning, I'm Randy. If this is your first time at Windsor Road, we just want to extend a very warm welcome to you. We're so happy to get the opportunity to worship with you. A beautiful spring morning. And it was the 10th anniversary of the marathon. I don't know how many of you ran in any of the different races. Did anybody do that? Raise your hand. Let's see. Isn't that awesome? That is good. Yeah. And then did, did we have any others who maybe just volunteered or assisted in any way, shape, or form? Yeah. Isn't that wonderful, too? So I think about, I do, I think about that. Uh, because part of our uh, mission as a church is to uh, passionately pursue Christ and contagious, contagious outreach to our world, contagious influence to our world contagiously influencing our world for Him. And whether you're running or whether you're assisting, uh, you're out there loving God and loving people. And that's part of our uh, mission as a church. And so, uh, God be praised. Um, as I was driving to the church office yesterday morning, finishing up here for this morning, uh, I got onto Armory Street, which is, I believe, mile 24. And I saw... A sign that said, mile 24, I saw pylons, I saw awnings, I saw a decal on Armory Street advertising one of the sponsors. I'd not seen that before, maybe it's been there, but I hadn't seen it on Armory. I thought, well, that's cool. And then I thought, how are they going to get that off? Well, that's not my issue. And then, then I saw this contraption... Uh, on Waverly that it looked kind of like a shower and you just kind of or versus and a car wash you just kind of go through it and you get misted or drenched or whatever uh, to kind of cool you down it was 32 degrees yesterday morning whatever okay <laughs> and I got to thinking especially about what we're going to discuss this morning about discerning God's will wouldn't it be great if God's will were that laid out for us? That there were pylons and signs and decals on the street and arrows pointing and mile 24. And oh, I, did any runner get lost yesterday? I hadn't seen that in the news. I was watching for that. I think all of the runners have been accounted for. I don't think there's anybody who got off course and they're in Effingham. Wouldn't it be great if God's will for our lives were just that crystal clear? Follow the signs, follow the arrows, step on the decal, go through the shower thing, stay on track, don't get off. You don't even have to think, just do what you're told, do what you're told, do what you're told, do what you're told, do what you're told. I mean, there's a part of me that just would just relish in that. When I go to my exercise class, it's a group class, I don't have to think. I just do what I'm told, and I don't mind doing that for 50 minutes, but I just go, and I just do, and I put in the time, and I'm thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful if it were just that clear regarding God's will, especially when we think about all of the decisions that we need to make in life. It's graduation season that's happening, and we've got 
uh, graduation, commencement ceremonies, high, middle school, high school, uh, college, graduate school, decisions need to be made. Do I go to college now? Do I not go to college? Do I uh, take a year? Do I, go, do I go to trade? Do I go to which graduate school? Where do I move? If I move there, do I rent first or do I buy a house? Uh, uh, who is this person that's walking with me in life? Uh, uh, should we get married? Do I even want to get married in life or do I want to stay single? Uh, we get married? Do we want to have children? How many children? God, what's your will? Wouldn't it be wonderful if God just told us exactly what we needed to do all the time at every moment of every day? That way we just don't have to think. We don't have to think, we just do. Now, I'm overemphasizing that to try to make a point that perhaps God does in fact want us to think. And that he's given us minds and brains to process. And, and that leads me to a faulty theology that I want to expose this morning. Before I present to you what I believe to be a, a more biblically sound perspective. And then we're going to see that in 10 verses of the book of Acts. That's where we're going this morning. What not to believe, what to believe, and how that applies to 10 verses in the book of Acts. What not to believe, what not to believe. Well, I call this Stepford Wives Theology. Okay? I'm going to put a little different spin on the Stepford Wives. You'll see this in just a moment. You Remember the story, 1972 novel by Ira Levin, The Stepford Wives. Uh, uh, the Eberharts move to Stepford, Connecticut. And Joanna is the wife, and she's this creative thinker, leader, executive type person. And she moves into this community. The husbands are kind of executive type-ish. And she begins to notice that the wives of these husbands, there's just something different, something eerie, something creepy about these wives. They have this plastic smile on them, and they, they seem obsessed with, like, detergents and cleaning and baking and baking cookies, and it's just really kind of weird. And they're Im all impossibly beautiful. And she goes to the newspaper and she finds out that these women used to be creative, executives, leaders. What has happened? And she begins to detect that they're robots. They're robots. And, and, and the feisty ones go on a vacation with their husbands and then come back. Plastic, baking, fastidious in their well-dressed high heels as they're mopping. And she begins to really get concerned and, and, and it's just so creepy and, and the, the climax of the very short but well-written novel is her 
trying to get away, and she goes into the woods, and so, and the husbands are kind of pursuing her, and she, she wants to stab her best friend to see whether or not she bleeds. That's how paranoid she is. And the husband said, well, come on into the house. It's okay. It's all right. Yeah, you can go ahead and stab her. And the scene ends. The scene ends. Spoiler alert. And then there's the epilogue. It's been since 1972. So. And the scene ends. And then there's the epilogue. And then you see Joanna gliding at the supermarket, pushing her cart with a plastic look on her face. Just tell me what to do. 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 And her cart bumps in to the new wife on the block who is the next unwitting victim. <laughs> Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. I don't think that Ira had in mind the theology that I'm telling you now, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, unwittingly, when we have this, oh God, tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. When, when we obsess over those kinds of details, and, and really, it's, I, I'm not accusing you or me or anybody of, you know, of malice in any way, shape, or form, but I, I think that by obsessing over the, 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 the little things, and we start, we start really worrying, and we become anxious, and, and what happens is we begin to think, you know, that God's will is like this nuclear warhead aimed at our future, and we just got to make sure that we get it right. I mean, what, if, what happens if I marry the wrong person? Well, if I marry the wrong person, and God just had that one person out of a planet of billions for me to pick out, then if I make that mistake, and I marry the wrong person, then, well, that means that, that, that they married the wrong person and that the person who was supposed to marry them married the wrong person. And there's this, and the world just kind of collapses into this, 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 this black hole of terrible imperfection. Whoa! Relax. Breathe. Maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's a better perspective. And I really and truly believe that there is. And I want to tell you what this better perspective is because this better perspective will help us understand the verses that we're going to look at in Acts 16. And here's the perspective. It's a healthier approach. Um, I'll just say it in three words. Becoming better doing. Becoming is better than doing. That's the perspective that I, I really want to plead with you about in regards to discerning God's will. What God wants us to become is more important than what we hope He'll tell us to do. I'll say that again. What God wants us to become is more important than what we hope He'll tell us to do. And it's not that He doesn't care what we do. It's that when it comes to discerning God's will, God is in the becoming business. I believe this. And I believe that if you will believe this, your life will become much more relaxed. And your life will become much more focused. 
Becoming is more important than doing. Now, once you understand that, then we will have a greater appreciation for what God's will actually is. Because once you see it this way, God's will is absolutely crystal clear. It truly is. It's even clearer than all of the signs that I talked to you about regarding the marathon. Let me show you. First. Uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? You want to know? Do you know? Let me ask. Do you really want to know? If you really want to know what God's will, here, there, that, if you believe that the Bible is God's word. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification, what is that? Sanctification, sanctity, dedicated, holy, set apart. That means you don't use a sand wedge off the tee. You use a sand wedge in the sand. You don't use a baseball bat on a tennis court. You use a baseball bat when you're in the batter's box. It's dedicated. It's sanctified. And so this is the will of God, that I be dedicated and sanctified and set apart, and thus a remarkable, incomparable person for Christ, who does not want me to conform to the pattern of this world, Romans 12, 1 and 2, but to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, so that I may test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's another verse. You, you want to know what God's will is for your life. His specific will. Here, look. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, to rejoice does not mean to paste a fake Stepford wives, smile on yourself. That's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about joy in the Lord, we're talking about this hopeful, good feeling, and I mean feeling, I don't mean just thinking, I mean feeling in the heart produced by the Holy Spirit as I ponder the splendor and beauty of Jesus Christ in His Word and in our world. That's what I'm talking about. Pray without ceasing. What does that mean? That means that God, listen, it's wonderful if you spend 15 minutes of quiet time in prayer at the beginning of each day. But God, I tell you, he is just as interested in your communication with him the other 23 hours and 45 minutes. And so part of what it means to grow in Christ is not just to, to develop a prayer life, but a praying life throughout the day in conversation with God. Praying without ceasing. I, I love what... Uh, uh, the British author G.K. Chesterton once wrote, he said, you say grace before meals, all right, but I say grace before the play and the opera and grace before the concert and the pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching and painting and swimming and fencing and boxing and walking and playing and dancing and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. Man, God wants more than a prayer life. He wants a praying life. 
You, do you hear what I'm saying, church family? God, God is more interested in your becoming the kind of person that he wants you to become. That's what he's more interested in. And when, when that takes priority, then the doing elements of it, I really believe this, the doing elements, they take care of themselves. They do. But are we willing to become the kind of person that God wants you to become? Uh, here's another verse that I want to share with you. Just write down Psalm 25, 9. Psalm, do you want to be led by God? Do you want God to lead you? Do you really want that? All right. Psalm 25, 9. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. He leads the humble in what is right. He leads, I mean, is that, is that not a jewel or what? Because I think one of the heaviest burdens that a human being can shoulder is the burden of being right. Is there, is there any characteristic more needed when you're right than humility? Huh? It's like that prayer. Lord, when I'm wrong, make me willing to change. And when I'm right, make me easy to live with. He leads the humble in what is right. I, I'm telling you, becoming is more important than doing. And, and I would cite this wonderful philosopher, the late Dallas Willard. Uh, he was chair of philosophy at the University of Southern California for many years. And this is what he said. He said, an obsession with merely doing all that God commands may be the very thing that rules out being the kind of person he calls us to be. I, that stabbed me when I read that. See, see, when we fail to become, then what's the point of hearing? Willard writes, our failure to hear his voice when we want to is due to the fact that we do not in general want to hear it or that we want to hear it only when we think we need it. Oh, I've got a decision to make. Come over here, God. Wow. And furthermore, just because you hear God's voice doesn't make you righteous. And you think, well... Why would he speak to me if not to give me unquestioning authority? <laughs> really? Don't you get that when you hear someone say, well, God spoke to me and God told me and as if their authority now is infallible. <laughs> well, just because he speaks infallibly doesn't mean you listen infallibly. The message may be infallible, but, but we're not. And by the way, just because... You have not heard him speak doesn't mean he's not been speaking. I don't know about you, but others who love me dearly, frequently, and correct me, uh, correctly accuse me of not listening. I wasn't paying attention. I was looking at sights and sounds. Oh, there's a squirrel over there. What? Not, not focused. See, 
Becoming is more important than doing. I really believe this. Could it be, consider this, brothers and sisters, could it be that God wants me to become so close to Him that He does not need to give me an audiovisual sign to tell me what to do? You think about it in your own life. Let's say you have a friend, and that friend has a mother who is hospitalized on the, on the West Coast or the East Coast, whatever you choose. And, 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 and my friend, you know, urgently desires to visit uh, the mother. And, and so, you know, the friend says, the friend says to me, I'd like to go, but I can't. Uh, can you help me in any way, shape, or form? Uh, so I say, sure, I'd be happy to. So I buy a plane ticket, and then I buy vouchers for rental cars, and, and I provide meal money, and I provide housing, and I do this, and I do that, and then I go. And what is that? That's an act of friendship. That's what that is. But let me tell you, there's a, there's a deeper level of friendship, and it looks like this, that the moment you find out that your friend's mother uh, is ill and your friend wants to go see your mother, you drive right over to your friend's house and you hand your friend an envelope and then in that envelope are travel vouchers and rental car vouchers and hotel vouchers and meal vouchers and you say here I know you need to go see your mother who is very sick I want you to go do it and you did not need to be asked at all because you have a depth of intimacy and friendship with your uh, your, your, your friend that, 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 that goes from the scene of a vocal experience to the unseen level of depth. And church, I really believe that that's where God wants us. Parents, don't you appreciate it when you don't have to tell your children what to do? See, they know. Why? Because they've been with you. And what makes you think it's any different than your heavenly Father? You see, becoming is more important than doing. It's not that God doesn't care about the doing part, but we've got to order it. Order it in terms of the becoming. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so as far as the Apostle Paul was concerned... His life is over, his life is dead, and instead Christ has been resurrected in his heart and in his life. And so whatever room he walks into, uh, whatever experience that he encounters, whether he is in a religious place, whether he is in the marketplace, whether he's in the business place as a, as a tent maker, that was his trade. Why, Paul just brought the very life of Christ with him. And so he dedicated his life at all times, 24-7, to expressing and, and encountering and living Jesus before the watching world. And I really believe that's what he wants for all of us. Becoming is more important than doing. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. 
we are in the will of God when we are becoming the kind of person that God wants us to become. Okay? We are in the will of God when we're becoming the kind of person God wants us to become. And that leaves room for a lot of initiative on our part. Initiative that's necessary to discerning God's will. Becoming. Doing. Now, having said that, I really just have a few moments to spend on Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 10. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts 16, verses 1 through 10. And here are three instances where the Apostle Paul discerned God's will. But, but the reason why I spent all of this time telling you this ahead of time is because if we don't get the becoming part before the doing, then we're going to come in here and we're going to sit down and say, let me have the three points of your message, get them checked off, and we'll go on and have coffee. And I really want us to go deeper than that because becoming is more important than doing. Acts 16 says, Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been rejected by the, uh, reached rather by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, he, we sought to go into Macedonia. Notice the we. Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Luke, the physician, the writer here, has joined them at this point. Now we're ready for these verses. Because you see, Paul is living the life of Christ. He's becoming, he is the person and words and ambassador of Christ. And now, how do we discern God's will? And I want you to see... Three ways, discerning God's will through wisdom, discerning God's will through hindrances, discerning God's will through divine vision. And as far as Paul was concerned, it's like, however you want to talk to me, God, that's great. It wasn't like one was greater than the other. It was like, because I belong to you, wisdom, hindrances, vision, it's up to you. So Paul returns to Lystra on what's called the second missionary journey. They leave Antioch of Syria to the right. They go to Derbe and Lystra, churches that they had already established. Remember, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark were first there, but now Paul is putting together a new team. Paul, Silas, and now he meets a young man named Timothy. His name means one who honors God. 
Timothy's mother was Jewish. His father was uh, Greek or Gentile. He was reared in a Christian home. We find out in 2 Timothy 1.5. Timothy 1.5. His mother's name was Eunice. His grandmother's name was Lois. Verse 2 says he's well spoken of. Paul wants to take Timothy with him on the second missionary journey. So he asks Timothy if he can circumcise him because of the Jews in that area. Now that's an odd question, especially having just read Acts chapter 15, where there was a period of discerning of God's will. And the decision was made is you do not need to become Jewish before you become a Christian. And everybody agreed. In fact, that is the message that's going to be proclaimed to these churches here. And yet we see Paul asking Timothy if Timothy would allow himself to be circumcised because of the Jews in the area. What's going on? Is Paul backtracking? No. Because at that point, it's not a matter of salvation. It's a matter of cultural sensitivity. It's a matter of respect. When Sarah and I have our Muslim friends over to our home, we will have chicken, we will have beef, we will not have pork. Now, I love pork. But uh, we want to be sensitive. We want to respect them. So it's, and, and so what, what is that? That, we hope we're attempting to discern that God wants us to be wise. What, what is the best question ever you can ask? What is the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? So often when we want to make our decisions, we want to say, well, what's the moral thing to do? Well, that's an important question to ask, but you don't stop there. What's the why? Something can be moral, but just not be wise. What's the wise thing to do? See, in light of my past, in light of my family of origin, in light of my hurts, what's the wise thing to do in this situation? In light of my present circumstances, in light of uh, where I am in terms of my calendar and my schedule and my margin and finances, what's the wise thing to do? In light of my future situation, in light of what is going to be happening maybe in the next six months or a year, what's the wise thing to do? That's what's driving Paul's decision here for the sake of the gospel. Paul was applying wisdom to eliminate barriers to the gospel. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come, let us reason together, said the Lord. God gave us a mind with which to think. Well, why do we feel that discerning His will has to traffic in the spectacular? And look at what happened in verse 5. It says, The churches were strengthened in faith. Why? Well, because of wisdom. Wisdom strengthens churches. And you may ask yourself, How do I obtain wisdom in life? Let me give you three specific practical applications Practical application number one. Do you want more wisdom in your life? Number one, read the Bible. Read the Word. Read the Word. Psalm 119, 99. I, have, I am wiser than all of my teachers because I meditate upon your testimonies. Do you want to be wiser than all your teachers? Then get into the Bible and read God's Word. And you say, well, but I, I often will find a place that I don't understand. What do I do then? Well, you just... Skip that section until you find a section you understand. Yeah. But read the Word. 
Read the word and then pray. Pray for wisdom. God, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom. God, give, you know what? James chapter one says that if we lack wisdom, we should ask and God gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given. Providing we ask in faith and trust. And by that, God means God is not in the advice business. He's in the will business. He's not your consultant. He's your king. He does not speak to be heard. He speaks to be obeyed. You ask wisdom, and God will give it. And then read the word, pray, and then hang out with wise people. Really? Proverbs 13, 20. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. God's will through wisdom. That's what's going on in verses 5, 1 through 5. And then in verses 6 through 8, God's will through hindrances. Look, Paul... Paul is traveling, and uh, let's go up to this map here again. I want you to see the direction here. So you see, um, you see Antioch, not to the far right, but in the middle of your screen there. And then you see Troas there to the left. So ab uh, below that red line is a section called Asia. And then above that red line is a, a place called Bithynia. And so for a while, Paul, well, he went to Asia and... Then he went up to Bithynia, and it's interesting, the scriptures say in Acts that, he, that Paul went to some forbidden zones. Why were they forbidden? I don't know. That they, the spirit of Jesus would not allow Paul and Silas and Timothy there. They, they were prohibited. And Now, we're not talking about 15-minute wrong turn. We're talking about... Several hundred miles on foot. So Paul, for a season, knew more about where not to go than where to go and had to wait. Is anybody in that season? You feel like you're walking? Oh, no, this, this is not going to happen. And so then you're going to have to go someplace else. Oh, that's not going to happen either. What, you know? And there's a tendency to really to, to, to be unnecessarily discouraged because we think that we're, because we haven't gotten it right. Hey, but wait a minute. You're a child of God. He loves you. You know, our God does not take risks. Do you know that? He's almighty. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Our God does not take risks. Therefore, you can And so in this season of uncertainty, don't waste it here. Because Paul, I mean, he got to know who God is. There's no persecution. It's a time of peace. Developing his relationship with the Lord. He got to know God better. He got to know himself better. He got to know his strengths. He got to know his blind spots. Where has waiting exposed what's strong? Or what's maybe weak about your life? And then it became an opportunity to know others better, such as Silas and Timothy. I mean, you're spending, you're spending, a, a, I mean, you're spending months together. You're going to get to know one another. 
And they grew as a team. Don't waste that. You're in Bithynia? That's okay. You're in Asia? That's all right. Don't waste that. It won't be forever. It won't. It won't be forever. Discernment through wisdom. Discernment through hindrances. Just keep moving. Just keep moving. Keep trying. Keep calling. Keep knocking on doors. And then discernment through divine visions. Again, I, I quote Dallas Willard who said, you know, I don't believe God messes with our minds. He's not mean. And if he has something to say to me, he will say it. And that's what happened to Paul in Troas. So he goes all the way to the coast. And he goes to Troas. And that's apparently where uh, Luke kind of pick, picked up. Luke the physician. And he goes to Troas. He has this vision. And this vision of this, vo uh, this, this man calling him across the ocean there. And it's this Macedonian call. And... And Paul goes. But when he goes, this is interesting. You know, he goes over to Macedonia and because there's this man, but the first person he meets is a woman. What's that about? I don't know. But Paul just knew he needed to go. And he went. All because he responded to this vision. Uh, but don't expect life to be a bed of roses just because you respond to a supernatural vision. Do you know what happened when he got to Philippi? <laughs> yeah, he was uh, arrested. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. Visions often lead to suffering. And you might say, well, I, I think I should do this because I, I, have, I have God's peace. Well, I, that, that may be good or that may be the Tom's working. don't always say, well, I just have God's peace and that means it's right. I'm not sure. I don't know. See. I mean, are you prepared? For, are you prepared to receive a vision from God? Everything that I've said so far, I realize some of you may say, well, he doesn't believe in visions. That's not true. No, that's not true. I mean, Paul received a vision. I have no reason to believe that God has stopped giving divine direction. But what I want to ask you is, do you really want to know God's will? And are you, are you prepared to be in business with God? If, if you find yourself saying, God's never spoken to me, I wish he would, you might want to ask, why should God speak to me? Well, what about my life would make speaking to me a reasonable thing for me to do? Or him to do? Are, are we going to be in business together or not? Or am I just in business for myself, trying to use a little bit of God to advance my agenda? And when our lives are devoted to the will of God, he has reason to speak to us. So the question is, who are you living for? Our church is about living for Christ, passionately pursuing Christ. Can you imagine a church of a thousand who know they're living for God? That in the wake of this crazy politicized culture, this uncertain world, we're able to carry ourselves and act in a way that brings peace into the room. We, we, know, we know who God wants us to become, and so we're going to trust Him. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. A, a, a church flooded with God's love 
and that love fuels us and guides us and protects us. Church family, what I'm trying to say is love God, love people, and then do what you want. Delight yourself in the Lord first, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. I, I hope you're free with that. Jesus said, I have come to do my Father's will. I do as the Father has commanded me, that the world may know I love the Father. So Jesus died on the cross because he loves us, but, I, but I'm telling you, he loved his Father more than he loves us. And that's why he followed his Father's will. And yes, he was so intimately close to his father. And yes, there were moments of supernatural experiences like the transfiguration. But the gospels don't portray Jesus as coming down the mountain every day with, a, with fresh pages of revelation from his father. No, no, no. He was so intimate with his father. He knew. And that father's will led him to a Roman cross. And that Roman cross led him to death. But the tomb could not keep him because the father who had willed him to suffer on the cross was also the father who raised his dead body to life, newness of life. And now the same spirit that hindered and disallowed and fueled Paul is the spirit that's on this church by grace through faith, having sent his spirit, his holy, joyful, prayerful people, grateful people whose lights so shine before others that they see our doings and they know who we are and they glorify our Father in heaven. Church family, that is God's will. Amen.